1: Hello and welcome to another edition of How To Bay Area, the show that tells you how to get stuff done in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am Keith Mancone.
2: I'm Jenna Lane, and today we are talking traffic.
1: You know, you do not need to go far to find people complaining about traffic
3: here in the Bay Area.
2: All I can say is my commute is horrific. It's only a few miles, but
3: every day I wake up and I have to leave like an hour and a half before I'm scheduled to work. I used to be from North Carolina, and here in the Bay Area, traffic is insane
1: compared to there. Don't need to go far. Uh, Literally, I just got up from my desk and walked around the newsroom. Those are all people that work here at KCBS. Uh, Margie Schaefer, Brian Kranz, Mary Hughes, Uh, and... The angst that they are expressing, you could go to literally any point in the Bay Area, ask any random person, and you would get some version of that. And it's really not hard to see, Jenna, what people are complaining about.
2: No, you could ask any one of about 120,000 people. This is one of those statistics that really is sobering. The Bay Area and surrounding regions have more than 120,000 people driving more than three hours for their commute. Another statistic in San Francisco, highway traffic gridlock is reportedly up eighty percent since twenty ten. San Francisco drivers spent an average of one hundred and sixteen hours in traffic congestion last year. This is the one that always gets me. Is the
1: you don't want to put a you don't want to put a number on that kind of thing. I don't
2: want to think about yeah. how else I could be spending yeah. those one hundred sixteen hours. We're in good company. We mm-hmm. are in one of the we're one of the top ten worst cities in the U.S. for traffic congestion.
1: Those are just stats that are not going to make you feel good.
2: 116 hours, everybody.
1: Yeah, those are not fun statistics to think about. Also not fun to live the reality of those statistics either. Uh, So today we are setting aside the entire program to think about traffic in the Bay Area. And with the how to Bay Area mindset, we are going to try to not just have a little pity party about how bad things are, although we, oh, we, we, we can might do, do some of that. too, yeah, yeah. We're going to do some of that, too. <laughs> but we are also going to look for as many solutions, ways to make it better for ourselves, for That's the right. region as possible. This is going to be a very constructive pity party, still a, probably a pity party, but a constructive one. At that,
2: But where we are sitting here at KCBS, we have a lot of resources to 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 bring it out of a pity party and into some, some practical advice.
1: Right? Exactly. That is a very good point. We are, KCBS, the traffic leader. The
2: traffic leader.
1: Uh, have been distilling the traffic down to radio-sized, bite-sized portions for everybody for decades and decades and decades. Uh, and so I think that it, it's safe to say that we are at the nexus here at KCBS of this Bay Area-wide problem, and we're going to be looking for some answers today to some of these issues.
2: So here's the plan. In a little bit, we're going to be hearing from a few traffic experts who are going to tell us what is wrong with traffic in the Bay Area, why it is so very wrong, and what can be done to fix it.
4: What we're dealing with really is a physics problem. It involves time and space then after all hope
1: is lost i mean it'll be lost a little bit just spoiler alert uh we are going to get our zen on with a san francisco-based stress expert
3: the actual traffic situation itself is almost designed to make us feel really upset and stressed out
1: but before all of that uh, let's get ourselves situated here you know today is all about how traffic has changed in the bay area well, it's been changing for a very long time, and it's been a very gradual process, I would say. You know, like, think of that proverbial frog in the pot. The, the the water is slowly getting warmer and warmer and warmer. We are all in that pot together right now. It's getting pretty toasty at this point. Well, for the first part of this program, we're going to speak now to some of the people whose job it is to watch that pot. Yes. <laughs>
5: We do have a backup that's forming in central Marin now. They've called for the fire department as well. We have
6: delays now in Tracy, 205 eastbound near MacArthur. I'm
5: looking
2: at the Nimitz, which I'd say is teeming with traffic in both directions now between Hayward and Fremont.
6: I'm talking about, of course,
1: the KCBS traffic team. I spoke with them to get their perspective on this problem because a lot of them have been covering the Bay Area roadways for a considerable amount of time. Well, Talking about reporters like George Rask.
6: I actually started doing traffic here in 1982. Beach Reports in the late 80s. And John Atkinson. And then I started working for KCBS doing traffic a year or two after that.
1: We'll also be hearing from Kim Wunderly, who had a bit of a hard time remembering when she got started.
5: Uh, I was hired in 2004, so I guess 14. 14 years?
1: And a little bit later we'll also be hearing from Bob Pryor.
7: Oh I started in 1996. I used to work for the predecessor to uh, 511. It was an outfit called Trav Info.
1: Decades of experience Jenna right there. Legends all. They are going to be giving us a traffic reporter's eye view of how the Bay Area has changed over the last 30 years or so.
8: There was a time Keith when you could go anywhere in the city at 3.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon without even having to take traffic into consideration.
1: Hurts, don't it?
2: No. (laughs) He's
1: making that up. (laughs) Uh, But regardless of whether or not we believe every detail of that account, a lot has clearly changed over the interceding decades.
6: There's such a huge difference in traffic now as there was 10, 15, 20 years ago.
8: I don't go anywhere anymore, Keith, without hearing a conversation about traffic. Mm -hmm. Either how bad it was getting to that event, Mm. or how someone had to take into consideration what route they were going to use to get to the event. So what has this all meant for our intrepid reporters?
1: Well, a lot certainly has changed in how KCBS traffic reporters do their jobs, They've ditched the planes for cameras and sensors that are now down on the ground level. Uh, they've brought on board the KCBS phone force, but probably the biggest change, from their perspective at least, is the sheer volume of traffic that they've now got to report on.
6: It can get very busy and very overwhelming, and it can be pretty stressful sometimes because there's so much stuff going on.
8: The length of the commute, the amount of volume that and the number of incidents that traffic reporters have to track has uh, gone up exponentially.
1: With all that in mind, to give you a sense of what they are up against, I'm going to play for you now a, a brief little montage that I put together that I call
8: the Bay Area Traffic Reporters Blues. 580 before Redwood, it's an accident. Couple of cars, maybe even three or four of them. The right lane blocked emergency crews. We have had to learn as traffic reporters to sustain a level of alertness, hyper-attention that seems to go on through an entire shift.
5: People are scrambling, trying to find alternate ways to get into not just San Francisco, but a lot of these reverse commutes that are going uh, in a different direction.
8: The commute starts now in the 4 o'clock hour, and for a number of outliers even earlier than that, because we have people who drive in from Tracy, Manteca, to the Bay Area.
5: So we're seeing, you know, commutes to places that we never did see before. The Sinal Grade never used to have traffic, then the Silicon Valley boomed. Now the Sinal Grade's backed up just like everything else.
2: East 380 to North 101 in
5: San Bruno for some reason. That's been a real stinker all afternoon, and then with the international... A uh,
2: soccer game going on in
6: the South There's Bay. just a whole lot more to cover. I would say that if we don't mention your area, it's probably not a major issue, <laughs> if that makes any sense.
5: I mean, think about this. You know, you'll look at the CHP screen and there'll be how many incidents? Sometimes there'll be seventy incidents during morning drive, all working at the same time. Okay, now you've got a minute and ten seconds. Go.
6: It's a losing battle. Yeah. So it's just crazy.
5: It's slow coming in now from the Toll Plaza on the South 101.
2: Your
0: next update, 5.58 on the traffic leader KCBS.
2: sleep six-day
1: forecast. I mean, I hear Cheryl Rains in the evenings. I hear her almost like trying to console the listeners every now and then, mm-hmm. almost like, hold it together, guys. Like, you know, I know it's tough, but... Um, do, do, do you feel an urge ever to try to encourage people to uh, or, or try to reach out to people in that way a little bit?
5: Oh, definitely, because the frustration level, I mean, being a driver, the frustration level is really high and people's views, uh, they're very short. And you've got to uh, somehow uh, put yourself in that situation. If it's an hour commute where it should have been 15 minutes, that's horrible. you got to mm. let people know that, that you feel it. You feel their pain. You yeah. know, definitely. People want to hear that. I mean, a lot of times it isn't really the information that they need so much is to hear that my experience is terrible. And you're echoing that on the air. That's all I want. That makes me feel better. Yeah, it's not going to change things for me. <laughs> but I know that you're at least you're there with me. Right.
1: All right, so we are getting a little bit of a bleak picture here. It is bleak. I mean, it, yeah. it's an
2: accurate picture.
1: There's uh, Bleak yet accurate. There's We don't want to sugarcoat it. We're not in the business of sugarcoating <laughs> things for our listeners. No. Uh, but we are in the business of coming up with practical ways that we can make a bleak situation bleak light, you know, slightly less bleak. Uh, and so to close out this section, we are going to turn off self-pity road on to Practicality Boulevard, and our guide along this particular stretch of our journey is going to be Bob Pryor, uh, who we heard from right at the top of this section. Uh, here's the question that I put to him, you know, trying to put things back in the frame of mind of getting stuff done. I mean, are, are there really times where you're really just stuck with the commute that you've got, or or would you say that by listening to KCBS, maybe you can shave an hour and 10-minute drive down to an hour and five-minute drive? Is, is there always a way to kind of look for that way to shave off things on the margin?
7: Oh, I think if you listen to KCBS, uh, yeah, and you have a good understanding of the roadways, um, and so that you can you can grasp what we're telling you about an alternate, you can definitely shave uh, you know maybe twenty percent off your uh, drive, you know, if you're smart, particularly if something goes wrong, which is where you really want to shave the time off. And, you know, like I say, I think there are, there are a whole bunch of things can be, people, people can do. Um, they should not only follow KCBS on Twitter, but, you know, there's a bunch of other people you can follow on Twitter as well. You might want to follow uh, Caltrans District 4 or District 5 uh, Twitter account, depending on where you're living. Um, maybe the Office of Emergency Services, maybe the the CHP, or, or you know, CHP might, if you live in Oakland, follow the CHP on Twitter. Why not? Uh, the Oakland CHP, you know, and if you live somewhere else, see if they have a CHP uh a Twitter account there that you can follow. Yeah, there's any number of things you can do to become, uh, to, to be a road warrior. It's just, you kind of have to live here for a while, I think, and you get used to them.
1: All right. And those are my conversations with the KCVS traffic reporter team.
2: I do appreciate Bob's crumb of satisfaction. I do. But Being reporters, you and I must know why things are happening. We can't Mm. truly be satisfied until we know what is behind the suffering.
1: In reporting, it's all who, what, when, where, why. Why is an important one. Why is it so bad?
2: We're going to find out uh, a little bit more about why it is so bad and also that how that you mentioned, how we got here and how people deal with this situation. Mm,
1: Yeah, because there are this is a land of innovation and people are adapting in myriad ways to this very challenging sitch.
2: So one of the one of the age old ways that uh, maybe not age old, but at least decades old ways that Bay Area commuters have coped with the the traffic, especially coming from the East Bay into San Francisco. That is Nothing new, not new on the list of terrible commutes, uh, is casual carpooling. This is something, Keith, that you've probably heard our news director, Jennifer Seelig talking mm. about. She is a longtime casual carpooler. She's
1: very enthusiastic about casual carpooling. Almost
2: evangelical, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> a zealot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she, I've been fascinated by this for many years. I've never lived in the East Bay. That's mm-hmm. where she grew up. And she, right. you know, I ask her questions about things like, isn't there an etiquette? Aren't you supposed to be silent in the car? And. All these other things. Well, she, of course, being the driver, is is in charge and mm-hmm. puts KCBS on the car radio. So <laughs> Maybe the etiquette does not allow for that. But but she listens to KCBS the whole way in. And so I went out to uh, these lots in the East Bay. There's a whole map of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one as far north as Vallejo. They're out in Orinda, Oakland. Uh, basically, I mean, you've heard of casual carpooling. I you have heard how of it. it works. I,
1: give, give me the details. Give me the details. I've never done it.
2: So let's say you live in Lafayette Mm -hmm. and you are about to embark upon your journey to your job in San Francisco and you know you can make that journey faster okay, if you can use the carpool lanes. And so you stop at a casual carpool lot and you add people to your vehicle so that you can then take advantage of the carpool lanes.
1: So traffic across the bridge is so bad that the marginal benefit of getting to use the faster lane the somewhat faster lane is enough of an incentive to let for this whole infrastructure <laughs>
2: and it's very ad hoc right it's completely yeah. it, i mean it's literally casual carpool like some yeah. people show up sometimes some people don't show up the, you know some people do it just in the mornings uh, some people do it only a couple days a week
1: so this is citizen problem solving in action.
2: Exactly. And so there are some established lots where people know that if they either want to give a ride or get a ride, Mm -hmm. they show up and and line up and uh, they it's very orderly Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and they get across the bridge a little faster.
1: Well, they say uh, necessity is the mother of invention.
2: Absolutely.
1: And so you, Jenna Lane, went on a little bit of a journey to get to know this much heralded uh, institution of Bay Area traffic weaving. Uh, And uh, along the way, I I think it would be fair to say you heard from a lot of people with a lot of perspectives on the Bay Area traffic problem. uh, And uh, I think you have a lot of good information to bring back to us.
2: That's right. So picture, if you will, a parking lot under 580, not too far from Lake Merritt in Oakland. One of the last stops that a casual carpool driver might make before hitting the maze and getting on the Bay Bridge.
1: All right. That's where we're going to start our reporting journey.
2: As a reporter, one thing I really enjoy about casual carpool drivers is they're very open to talking to
8: strangers. I come every morning and it's the the easiest way to get across the bridge.
2: How long have you been using Uh, this method?
8: 18 years. You meet new people and you save money and you get to work quicker.
2: How much quicker?
1: Um, That really depends. Once you get through the maze, I would say probably 20 minutes quicker.
2: How much time does it save you? Depends on the traffic, about 30 to 40 minutes. Can't live without it. It
1: gets me there faster. I feel like I'm doing something positive, having people in my car. Um, They're great people. It's It's all good, positive for the environment, good for me. And it gets me going in the morning, having that kind of community around you.
2: It's interesting you mentioned the community because I've heard that it's like silence is the etiquette.
1: Yes, I thought when I first started, man, I'm going to have bubbling conversations in the morning, but it's just having the people in the car that get you going and that energy. So I've had a few really great conversations, though, a couple of times, and it's all worth it.
2: I'm learning quickly how this works. Because it is a Friday, drivers tell me, there are not quite as many passengers as would normally be lining up here. So... With more drivers than passengers, the cars wait. As soon as they get to three people in the car, they take off. This car's already got two people in it, so one more joins them
0: and they're off. It's faster than Bart and the bus. It's cheaper than Bart and the bus. Um... You always get a seat. You don't always get a seat on BART or the bus. So, so you live <laughs> around here? I did actually for three years. I lived up that hill and then um we moved to Montclair and uh, you can go. It's fine. I'll finish my sentence. You're welcome. And then actually I tried the bus at Montclair And I decided it was better worth it to drive back to my old apartment and take casual carpool from my old apartment.
2: So you drove here, (laughs)
0: parked your car,
2: (laughs) and now you're going to get into somebody else's car.
0: Yeah, and that's because also parking in the city is like $15 a day. Okay. So it's not worth it to drive into the city. You've got it all figured out. Thank you so much. (laughs) Have a great day.
2: So, Keith, after I learned all about the wisdom of casual carpooling, I then got into my single occupancy vehicle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You learned none of the lessons.
2: Apparently not. Uh, And I had an interview to catch. Those cars zooming by are the ones in the carpool lane. I'm in one of the fast track lanes approaching the Bay Bridge Toll Plaza, listening to the KCBS Traffic Report. I just had to tell John Goodwin at the Metropolitan Transportation Commission that I might be late for our 930 meeting. Well the traffic is slow outside the Metropolitan Transportation Commission offices on Beale Street, but I did make it by 934. Good morning. Morning. Here to see John Goodwin up at the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. My goal in meeting with John Goodwin was to get our conversation grounded in some facts about traffic in the Bay Area and maybe some hope for the future of transportation in the Bay Area. A specific data point, but you're the kind of guy who has all these data points just rattling around in your head. They're
4: just rattling around.
2: John started off by telling me what. Everybody listening already knows what we've been saying, what our traffic reporters have been explaining. Traffic is really bad in the Bay Area, like on a national scale, bad.
4: By virtually every measurement, traffic congestion during the commute hours in the Bay Area is second only to that in L.A. L.A.
7: It's kind of legendary, isn't it? Right, legendary, and
4: and, uh, that legend is well-earned. But uh, the Bay Area is giving L.A. a run for its money. And there are a lot of reasons for that.
2: Those reasons will be familiar to our listeners, but let's go over them briefly. First of all, there are more jobs here.
4: We obviously have right now and have enjoyed for the last several years a really robust economy. So there are a lot of people going to work every day.
2: More people going to work means more cars on the road.
4: And they are traveling farther and farther distances. We have... A severe jobs housing imbalance.
2: That means basically the jobs are in one part of the Bay Area and the housing is in the other. So the jobs are in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, the housing is not.
4: San Francisco and Silicon Valley are notoriously expensive places to live. As a consequence, people are residing farther and farther away from their jobs. And that is the root cause of the congestion problems that we face.
2: So I wanted to talk with him about some solutions. And I have to say that that part of our conversation was a little discouraging. So how do you here find solutions to, to, I mean, you don't build housing. You're the Transportation Commission. So...
4: Well, there's not really a solution.
2: What? (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. That's, um... (laughs) sorry everybody
4: that's the end of our show <laughs> wait no 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 no, no 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 it
1: picks up from there I think it picks up from there let's, let's, uh, let's hope
4: there's no silver bullet to the congestion problem because what we're dealing with really is a physics problem it involves time and space and people that have a high demand for a very limited resource which is the space on the freeway lane um, they all want to be in the same space at the same time.
2: The first thing that you mentioned was jobs. Yes. And I wonder if here, the all of the brilliant people in this building think about what to do in the next downturn, because you are big picture thinkers and I'm sure you see it as a cyclical economic thing, right? What do we do in the next downturn to make sure that when it cycles back up again, not as many people are competing for that limited space in those limited hours?
4: Well, that's a great question. Uh, and let's talk about the easy solutions. Okay. We'll operate under the assumption that there's no solution, but there are, there are ways to reduce the pain. And the easiest of those is carpooling. We at MTC have for decades been encouraging carpooling. Our outgoing executive director, Steve Hemminger, probably put it best a few years ago when he identified the single biggest wasted mass transportation resource in the Bay Area is the empty seats in people's cars. And the way to deal with this problem of Too many people wanting to be in the same space at the same time is to fill up those empty seats in people's cars, or put more simply, more people in fewer vehicles. The unfortunate fact is that over time, the percentage of commuters who choose to carpool has actually declined. Uh, Carpooling was a lot more popular in 1960. Than it is now, almost uh, almost 60 years later.
2: Do you know why that is?
4: Well, I think there are probably a lot of reasons. We've had the, the ex- changes in in how we live, changes in how we work. There, uh, our, our workplaces are. It's not Fred and Barney reporting to uh, Mr. Slate's quarry at the same time every day as it might have been in in 1960. Fewer are the cases where you have 10,000 people who are beginning a shift at a single site at the same time. But as as easy as it is to identify carpooling as the lowest-hanging fruit and the most effective way to use our freeway network more efficiently, sure, that's the low-hanging fruit, but uh, but actually plucking that fruit and, and having it eaten is... Uh, is a bit of a challenge.
1: <laughs> Hard to eat that low-hanging fruit, eh?
2: Yeah, well, this is the Bay Area. You would expect that in the innovation capital that we are, there would be some sort of technological solution to to this problem. Mm. We spoke with Goodwin about whether or not tech could save traffic.
1: Uh, my money's on self-driving cars. Is that going to get us out of this? Maybe,
2: maybe.
4: <laughs> there are some promising technologies, not least of which is the advent of connected and autonomous vehicles. As vehicles are able to communicate with one another, we can operate the freeways more efficiently, reduce the spaces between cars without compromising safety and those kinds of things so that you can fit more cars, ideally with more people in those cars in this limited amount of space. Because let's keep in mind, too, that the era of major scale freeway construction is not only over, it has been over for a generation. Connected and autonomous vehicles will help in that regard but there are a number of questions not least of which is particularly as autonomous vehicles come into the fleet will they be shared which is more efficient or will they be privately owned in which case our traffic future could be even more horrible than it is now
1: Ended uh, that turned rather quickly. <laughs> turned rather dark. <laughs> he really did dangle that hope out there for a second, though. That was it was a nice moment. <laughs>
2: and then just snatched it away. <laughs> snatched it right back.
1: <laughs> All right. So that, those are some of the tech ideas that maybe, depending on who you ask, maybe will improve our traffic future. Uh, But, you know, there are a lot of things on the horizon for the Bay Area in terms of projects, in terms of ideas, uh, for changes that are in the works. Um, Let's just, I mean, tick through a couple of them. Uh, San Francisco Chronicle was nice enough to put together a list of 11 major projects that are in the works. Uh, For example, there is the Central Subway in San Francisco that'll help folks on Caltrain to make it to the Chinatown area a, a, a little bit better, get downtown from Caltrain, which right now it's a little bit hard to do. There's Caltrain upgrades, the electrification. There are a number of bike paths on uh, bridges that might be in the works. There is the expansion of BART, which is near and dear to my heart because I grew up in Milpitas and we have been waiting for that thing and waiting for that thing. And it's going waiting happen. for that thing. So, you know, like whenever it comes, we will be very happy is it what will. I'm trying to say. Uh, And then, you know, even more, slightly more outlandish, uh, there are ideas like adding a second Transbay tube. uh, Which is
2: a huge idea.
1: A huge idea, but...
2: Very expensive.
1: Maybe very necessary, given that uh, estimates predict that by 2025, the through traffic on BART is just going to be too much, unsustainable. So maybe we need that uh, second Transbay tube.
2: BART's pretty crowded.
1: BART is pretty crowded.
2: You know, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, where we were speaking to John Goodwin, has also been soliciting ideas. They put out this call, uh, competitive uh, call for for ideas about how to really think big and, <laughs> and do something new with uh, the Bay Area's transportation system. And people responded. They really did. With some very imaginative things like uh, a conveyor belt, a freeway that is not you don't drive on it. You just drive onto the conveyor belt and it pulls you along or a gondola that sails over the huh. Bay. Oh, that'd be nice. Nice view, right? Okay. Or a new freeway <laughs> directly down the middle, like, of the Bay itself. Oh. From the Bay Bridge to San Jose. Just draw a line okay. down the Bay. Okay.
1: You don't like 101? You don't like 880? Here's a new... Here's a
2: new one right okay. down the middle.
1: Okay. So that's... that. Those are the ideas that John Q. Public is cooking with.
2: Yep. There's there's just a, a lot of imagination and innovation in, in the Bay Area.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Well, my first reaction, you know, looking through all of these ideas out here, not being a transportation f- expert myself, my gut reaction is that most of the ideas that are on the table that are feasible and happening in the next couple of years, none of them seem like they are game changers. I mean, we're talking about things like express lines we are talking about things like extra bike pads. We're talking about things like expanding the Novato Narrows. You know, like all good things that will help on the margin, but...
2: I see what you're saying, though. They feel a little incremental.
1: Very incremental, yeah. And then, like, those bigger things, like an actual trans-bay tube, an extra one, that feels very hypothetical. Not going to happen anytime soon.
2: At least not in our (laughs) lifetimes.
1: Not to be total pessimists,
2: but yes, yes. So we wanted to close out this section with an actual... Transportation expert, someone who is a big thinker on on transportation, but also is really in tune with what is practical and possible.
9: My name is Jason Henderson. I am a professor of geography at San Francisco State University with a research emphasis in the politics of transportation in cities.
2: Professor Henderson and I met at a sidewalk cafe near. This is at uh, the Octavia Boulevard entrance to 101, if you're familiar with that area. It's actually a stop right along his bicycle commute. Uh, So there were lots of cars going by, bicycles going by, a little sidewalk cafe.
1: Transportation expert knows how to do it.
2: It was was right in the heart of the action. There we go. So here we are looking at these cars and bikes going by. uh, But he really thinks that we need to, as you were saying, think big picture. Mm -hmm. And what we really need in the region is more rail.
9: But, in the, you know, that's going to be a generation or two.
2: So, in the meantime...
9: We need to allocate space on the Bay Bridge for a, a full-on regional bus system.
2: A full-on regional bus system. Huh.
9: Regularly scheduled high-frequency buses for 10 years until we upgrade Caltrain to be a high-capacity railway line. What we're doing instead is taking forever to upgrade Caltrain and doing nothing and telling everyone you're on your own.
2: So we talked about how many buses it would actually take to make a dent.
9: A bus a minute on that bridge or a bus every 30 seconds.
2: A lot of buses.
9: With the region between San Jose and San Francisco just that one corridor could be doing is investing in I mean I'm gonna say it maybe 500 to a thousand buses
2: So this, of course, immediately brought to mind the tech shuttles, which when they were first introduced, uh, certainly in San Francisco, were rather controversial. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they do take quite a few cars off the road or or they have the potential at least. And so mindful of the political sensitivities Mm. around those. Maybe uh, if the
1: public was overseeing these buses a little bit more. If
2: they were serving more of the public and not of private corporations. Uh-huh. Uh, that was sort of the direction that That's Professor an interesting Henderson idea. was talking.
1: interesting uh, idea. Yeah. Inter-
2: yeah. Okay. And, you know, it is, it is a little bit, again, political. Um, right. And so it, that is something that you really actually have to, you really have to factor in the politics when evaluating whether or not one of these big ideas is feasible, whether we could pull it off. Do you know of... Projects that are in the works right now that might bring to life some of the, the, the models and the visions that, that you're talking about?
9: Do I know of project? Well, I do know of two bus improvement projects that should have been finished a long time ago and for political reasons, not technical reasons or engineering reasons, were delayed. And that's something that we have to cut through and wait, I mean, I can list off Geary, Van Ness in the city of San Francisco, Ooh. International Boulevard, Telegraph in Oakland, um, El Camino in, in, in San Mateo. These are all streets that have been discussed as bus improvement corridors and that at some point will get something. But there's been a, a lack of political leadership from elected officials because now they're not even lasting as long as the the time of planning and building these projects.
1: So what strikes me about that clip is that we're just talking about extending bus lines or making new bus lines. I mean, that is relatively easy stuff. And even that is politically challenging here in the Bay Area. That's not even talking about the third rail of Bay Area life, (laughs) housing. And for a lot of these transportation experts, that's where they see a lot of the gains in the future is getting more density around the areas where we have uh, a lot of our transportation hubs. And so people don't need to drive as far to get onto public transportation. Uh, And and, and that's going to be a lot harder. So, you know, if we can't even get buses, politics is just
4: going to be grinding on these issues.
2: And this is a point on which John Goodwin would agree.
4: Anything involving the regional transportation network It's fraught with some difficulty and there's, there's some friction simply because there are so many different owners of the transportation network. The state highways are owned and operated by Caltrans, but enforcement of carpool regulations is done by the California Highway Patrol. We have nine counties, we have 101 different cities. There are a lot of friction points.
9: It feels like everyone complains about transportation, but no one owns it. You know, maybe we need to elevate the, a champion. The ideas are optimistic. The ability to do it is there, but it's gonna take somebody kind of like, not a czar, we want it to be democratic, but a truth teller. Somebody that just says, you know, to make an omelet, you gotta break eggs, but you don't, break eggs and throw them on the floor and then, like, you know, halfway make a runny omelet. Which is, like, what all these politicians have delivered us so far.
2: So where there's a will, there's a way. And where there's low-hanging fruit, there's an omelet to go with.
1: (laughs) And the the Flintstones will get it for you. Oh, man. Uh, It's so much colorful imagery in this show. But All of that is to say a lot of difficult decisions to make. I could hear him trying to steer away from that term traffic czar because here in the Bay Area, having some amount of local control, that's that's a big value of ours, too.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, democracy is is good.
1: Right. And, And sometimes democracy does make things move a little bit slower. So there's a lot of difficult choices to be made. All of which is adding up to the notion that there are no easy answers here, unfortunately.
2: Not any immediate easy answers, no.
1: The show is called How to Bay Area, but the, the, there are no life hacks here. This is not a how to snap your fingers and make everything better.
2: Well, it's like John Goodwin said, there is no solution.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks, <Ben>. God. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> so with all that in mind, we're going to be looking for a different kind of solution for this last section of the show. We're going to be asking the question, what can you do about traffic when there is absolutely nothing to be done? You know, if we can't change the roads, can we change how we feel
2: about the roads, perhaps? You know what they say, life is 10% what happens and 90% how you react.
1: They do say that, and I react very negatively to it. (laughs) I don't like that.
2: Let's see what we can change about how we respond to the traffic situation.
1: Exactly. And... I have a lot of overwrought responses, being somebody, as a reporter, driving to my stories, spending a lot of time on the road. I have a lot of feelings about this. And so what I wanted to do here is find a guy to help us sort through some of that commuter angst.
3: Yeah, my name is Jonathan Horowitz, and I am a clinical psychologist, and I am the director of the San Francisco Stress and Anxiety Center.
1: San Francisco Stress and Anxiety Center. He runs a whole center dedicated to dealing with stress and anxiety. Uh, and if you notice, Jenna, listening to that tape, uh, a little road noise there, that's because we were driving while we did this interview. Uh,
3: yeah. Which way should I go? Uh, you can go straight. Okay.
2: <laughs> were, you, were you wearing like a, like a heart monitor? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I don't want anybody to see that data. <laughs> I, you know, I figured that if there's one time to talk about those strong feelings that I have, it's when they are
3: at their absolute peak, which is why... We did this interview in my car. So right now, 47 minutes. All right, so we got a fair amount of traffic.
1: While driving into San Francisco across the Bay Bridge. Perfect. And it's saying to go at
3: 830 AM on a on Tuesday morning. That, pretty straightforward. Just take 880 straight over to I-80 across the bridge. Easy enough. Good deal
2: because you are a glutton for punishment. A
1: glutton for punishment. Into the belly of the beast. We were actually driving from the edge of Lake Merritt in Oakland right into downtown San Francisco. All right. Well, thank you for doing this crazy thing. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, this is cool. This is fun.
1: So we started out this conversation talking about some of those feelings that I get, namely the mindless murderous rage that i experience when uh traffic isn't going my way let me in let me in hey 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 i i am ashamed to admit it i'm not proud of this jenna
2: you're not alone, you're
1: not alone. <laughs> this is a safe space but there is something about driving uh that brings out the absolute Especially worst in me I and i, I told jonathan about I that into a completely different person having you here is mellowing me out a little bit i got to be like socially acceptable but yeah (laughs) if 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 i was like totally unregulated road rage version of myself i would be cursing at that guy who's merging funny i would be you know just (laughs) raging at all the people that are minorly inconveniencing me throughout the morning uh sometimes very loudly you know and i'm I'm very unaccustomed to this because i am not a rage-filled person in any other circumstance i'm Uh, I'd like to think of myself as a fairly mild-mannered person, but there's something about traffic that just really brings it out of me. Where where is that coming from? Where where are these demons on the
3: road coming from? Yeah, so I I think there's a couple things that are happening there. Um, First of all, there's the actual traffic situation itself is almost designed to make us feel really upset and stressed out. Uh, You've got a situation where there's low perceived control, right? Human beings hate being not out of control. Um, There's the unpredictability of it. You're surrounded by all these people who are behaving unpredictably. Um, The whole traffic situation as a whole is unpredictable. You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know where it's going to show up. Um... It is a fairly, there is a real element of danger when you're driving, right? I mean, a a little mistake, you have a fender bender that could cost you a couple thousand dollars in repairs, or you could actually be hurt, you know, if you, you run into someone. So you add all those things together, and then on top of it, you've got this sort of anonymity. People are alone in a car, right? So this is like what happens if you've ever been on Twitter. Exactly, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, it's like the eggs are the most vicious, right? Right. It's like these (laughs) these anonymous people. Um, There's no social inhibition. When you get behind the wheel of your car, nobody's looking at you, you don't know these people, it's really easy to assume the worst about them, you know, the worst intentions, uh, sheer incompetence, you know, (laughs) you don't know what's going on inside, inside that car. Maybe they're having an argument with someone, maybe they're distracted, maybe they're tired, you know, there's or maybe these... they
1: really are a terrible person or... and worthy of scorn, <laughs> I mean, who knows?
3: And maybe they are a terrible person who is out to get you, who is just <laughs> trying to ruin your day, and they're worthy of all your scorn, so. Um, baseline
1: assumption, I mean, you know. Baseline
3: assumption, good, good way to move through the world with that baseline assumption,
1: right? Now, getting back to the actual mental health impact of all this, uh, Jenna, research actually even points to a link between domestic abuse and extreme traffic events. Uh, Jonathan told me that the commute stress really can spill into other parts of our lives.
3: If you have something that is a chronic stressor uh, that you find really unpleasant and you're doing it day in and day out, that's gonna make it more difficult for you to cope with other stressors in your life. Um, you can think about your tolerance for stress, it's almost like a muscle. And if you are constantly under stress and you don't give that muscle any chance to recover, then you're gonna be less able to deal with things as they come up. It's definitely a problem. The, the good news is I think that there are things you can do to better cope with it. it right here? And you make it right here. And I think we can talk about that.
1: Things you can do, Jenna. This is where we really dig into the how-to part of the show. Uh, he said, "One of the first things that you want to think about is before you even get into the car, what can you do to de-stress before that commute starts?
3: Basically, the more stressed out you are when you get into the car, the less able you're going to be to deal with the stress of traffic that comes up. Um, if you have good techniques and if you have good practices around managing your own stress, then you know it's it's going to be easier. So, um, and." A, it, you know, people say it again and again, but I think it bears repeating. But taking care of yourself, like getting enough sleep if possible, um, getting enough exercise, eating well—all those things are going to help you when it comes time to actually get into this situation.
1: Um, so, all the things that you're saying, I am probably like doing the opposite of all that right now. I feel like. So just like seeing this view right now, I've driven up this way so many times. I know what's coming after I turn the corner and it's just like 40 minutes of being stuck. And just here right now, we're not even in traffic yet. I'm already stressed out because I know what's coming. I've gone through this so many times on so many mornings. I'm assuming the
3: dreading the stress ahead, that's not the right way to approach this. Well, so tell me, so so, so you said you know that it's coming. You've been here so many times and I've had the same experience. So so what's difficult about it? It's, well,
1: as a reporter, you're always on deadline. All right, so here's where it became uh, a little bit of a therapy session. Um, I unloaded some of my feelings, as you just heard there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think it's uh, fair to say that uh, Jonathan therapized me right on back.
3: Uh, That can put you back 20, 30 minutes in your day. (laughs) Yeah, so there's this sense that like time is a scarce commodity and you're in this situation that's bleeding time, it's taking time away from you. Exactly. And you don't have enough of it already. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I can see how when you come into it with that framing, it's going to make it really difficult to deal with. Is there an alternative framing? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> you can bear left up here.
2: Um,
1: All right. So from here on in, we're just going to be digging into some of those coping mechanisms that uh, Jonathan recommends for dealing with some of those really difficult, stressful commutes that occur sometimes.
2: I am taking notes.
1: (laughs) The next one that we're going to get to is Jonathan recommends actually being very thoughtful about how you're using that time in the car maybe there are some actual ways to use that time better it sounds like you're
3: doing a a good job of that that was a suggestion i was going to make was um taking the time that you're in traffic and sort of optimizing it by listening to things that really are important to you and those could be books on tape um you know it could be trying to learn a language or you know it could be um talking on the phone to loved ones or, or, you know, people at work, you know, that there there are a lot of ways that you can use this time that if you weren't in traffic, you would still want to put that time towards those things. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um,
3: are you, are you advocating distracted driving right now? So I'm not advocating distracted (laughs) driving. So I think that there are ways that you can do it that are more or less responsible, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're on a hands-free device um, and you're you're not on your cell phone. You know, don't don't check email, obviously, and don't text. And there are plenty of people who are doing those things, right? And you don't want to be doing those. Um, but I think you know, making phone calls is is pretty reasonable. And I think listening to podcasts or books on tape or listening to the news. You know, I think that there are ways that you can kind of acknowledge the value of those activities, and acknowledging that those things do take time, right? And and so. What I'm getting at is if you can tell yourself and if you can really feel like the time that you're spending in traffic isn't a complete waste of time because you're doing these other valuable activities, I think that might help get at that sense that what you're doing now is such an awful, you know, waste of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think also just being aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves. You know, whenever we get anxious or we get uh, frustrated or angry, there are a couple things that are going on. Um, You know, one thing is that we have this kind of physiological reaction. You know, we start to tighten up, we get tense, and you might notice that when you're driving sometimes. Like, your neck gets tight or shoulders, or you might actually be gripping the wheel, like, really intensely. So, just noticing that that's what's physically happening. Your body is actually preparing itself. It's a, you know, fight or flight response. Your body's getting ready to... um, you know, get in a fight or, 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 you know, deal with some external danger. That's what we're built to do. But there's nothing that we can do. All we can do is really just sit here, right? And so if you just start to notice that and see if there are any ways that you can kind of let go of tension, um, notice if your shoulders are tense and you can kind of drop your shoulders. Notice if you're gripping the wheel tightly and you can sort of let go. And then if you can start to notice, what the stories are you know what 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 are you making of the traffic situation um there are a lot of stories that are really easy to fall into about the traffic like we want to blame people a lot of times it's really easy to blame other drivers um it's easy to blame Caltrans you know (laughs) (laughs) like it's this sort of name nameless... it is
1: easy to blame Countless.
3: it is right it's this kind of faceless bureaucracy you don't know any of the people you can just assume that they don't care you know they have engineers hard at work who are trying to figure these things out but it's really easy i think um in these situations to get caught up in this whole it's almost like a persecution thing you know mm-hmm. like uh this traffic is happening to <laughs> me you know oh totally Totally. yeah and one of my friends who's an urban planner is remind, reminding me, he's like, no, we are the traffic. We are all part of it. Right. You know, it's not actually happening to us. I'm happening to these people at the very same <laughs> time. Yeah, we're happening to them. So." <laughs>
1: Um, Alright, so uh, what, what other coping mechanisms come to mind for you? I'm, I'm, I'm in the thick of traffic, I'm late for work, I'm stressed out, what can I do at that point to pull myself away from the abyss?
3: Yeah, okay. So if you're already there, you're like already kind of amped up. Um, I think the first thing and the most important thing, and the thing that comes with practice, is noticing that that's what's actually happening right now. Like. Noticing that you are feeling really stressed up and noticing that your reaction is way out of proportion to the whole situation. Um, there's a real power in that, you know, just seeing what you're in the grips of. It's, I mean, and that's even frustrating in itself because yeah. you're so amped up and you realize the
1: stakes are so low right now. Yes. I'm being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the lowest. Like, I'm not running a country. Like, if I'm late for work, the worst thing that's going to happen is, like, oh, that story didn't, like, that thing people had to wait another five minutes to hear about it you know
3: (laughs) yeah that's no that's a great point that's a great point and i think that's something to remember like most of the times the stakes are actually not that high whatsoever uh if you have somebody in your car who's bleeding you know if if someone's giving birth in your car they like yeah you got to get there but most of the time that's not what what's happening you know we're gonna get there we'll be a couple minutes late we think people are going to be hugely upset that we're going to be late. In reality, nobody really notices. or If can, somebody you know. is
1: bleeding in your car, though, I recommend not crossing the bridge at Don't 9 a.m. Don't cross the bridge. Take Bart. It's, it's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Take part. Yeah, that's the way to... It's true. It's true. Um, right, so it's, it's about reframing it in the moment and having that awareness of uh, kind of where you're getting a little departed from reality.
3: Yeah, yeah. Just having that insight in the moment and really noticing. And then if you can also... So you're not really going to be able to calm yourself down. And I I think people go wrong sometimes when they are upset, whether they're very anxious or they're very angry. They'll try and put the brakes on it and kind of contain it. Like, I'm not feeling this. I don't want to feel this. And kind of like clamp down on the emotion. That actually doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. So there's some kind of middle ground between you don't want to let yourself fly into a rage and express all this. And, you know, that's not going to be helpful. But you also don't want to try and clamp down and suppress that emotion. If you can find the place in the middle where you're just kind of aware like yeah this is a frustrating situation I am very frustrated right now I feel this tightness I, I, I wish I wasn't in this uh, maybe I noticed that I'm starting to criticize myself how did I get here again why am I always late stuff like that just notice you're doing it allow yourself to feel those feelings and then just come back to the present moment and just, just, just come back to it and don't make it worse basically <laughs> don't buy into those stories that you're telling yourself I know that these things are easier said than done and um, this is why, you know, as the, the stress management experts, we always recommend that people are doing things like mindfulness meditation, um, yoga, you know, go for walks, things like that. Those kind of activities, when you're not in the midst of stress, the more you do them, you actually get better at managing yourself in those moments where the stakes are really high. So you don't get to that point where you're about to explode.
1: Alright, so uh, we should mention, just so that uh, folks listening at home can follow along, we have now hit pay dirt. we are, are okay. staling down uh, a ton of traffic, We're, it's about 852. How, how far do you think we are to the toll plaza at this point? Maybe about another mile? Three quarters of a mile? Yeah, probably
3: a mile, under a mile. Yeah. Uh, and this is when it gets bad. Yeah, this yeah. is when it gets really bad.
1: Everybody. In the it's always right hand at hand this hand hand point hand hand of the jockey ride jockey that the stress the gets turned up a notch or two um, for me. Uh, because on my approach, getting onto the bridge, I'm always coming at the toll plaza from the far right lane and trying desperately to get into the fast track lane uh, as it opens up. Because
2: that can make a big difference.
1: It makes a huge difference, yeah. If you get into that fast track lane, that's potentially like 10 minutes off uh, as you're waiting to just yeah, it make it through the tolls. It's, it's, it's well, big, other people know about this too. So they're as soon as that lane opens up, everybody is, is trying to make it in there yeah. and yeah. it can get a little nuts
3: i know it's always this kind of like uh, trying to muscle each other out for it yeah and I, it's like a pack of animals yeah so the the etiquette and is this something that i'm making up but is the etiquette that it's one car one car one car like a zipper like um, you let one go and then you go and that isn't it
1: something like that well the thing is is if if you go so the responsible thing to do is to go in as early as possible and then you're not like messing up the line way at the front, that's my opinion. Maybe this is just me. Yeah. So I try to go in as early as possible. The people that like wait till the end and I've gotten like the benefit of being in the faster lanes the whole time, I feel like they're cheating the system. And I always like, sometimes I let them in just cause I, I, I feel too bad about it, but I always feel like I'm being taken advantage of a little
3: bit. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And, but to add a wrinkle to it, like those people also might be making a mistake. Like maybe they just don't know. You gotta be
1: charitable. But that's, yeah. that's the sort of thing that somebody says when they're being taken advantage of. <laughs> that's a very being taken advantage of sort of mentality. I like this. It's like a Rorschach for like your, your whole worldview. Right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. We learn a lot about people based on how they approach the toll plaza.
3: Yeah, yeah. So one way to think of it then, um, <laughs> if, if you can do this, might be this is an opportunity to kind of practice some charitable thinking. Mm. Uh, you know, because you really do have this this choice you can make when you're sitting in traffic. You can get super frustrated. Mm -hmm. You can tell yourself all the stories about why it's terrible, why it's happening to you. Um, Or you can say, all right, I'm here, I'm in this situation. I'm gonna try and be a charitable person. I'm gonna accept the fact that I don't have much control over this, uh, which is really hard. I mean, we don't have control over it and human beings hate not having control. It's super stressful to not be in control of this situation. It's interesting to hear you frame it as a choice because I think uh, I speak for a lot of
1: drivers when I say it doesn't feel like a choice being frustrated about this. It feels like a very uh, externally frustrating situation, like I'm not doing the frustration, but you're saying there
3: is a little bit of a choice there. I, I think there really is a choice there. and especially when you're talking about commuters because, so this is the crazy thing and I've been here too, right? Like I used to commute on 101 and I had that same experience where every day I would get on and it would be this crazy traffic and I would get all mad at it like as if it wasn't gonna be there. And at a certain (laughs) point I just had to laugh at myself like no, like I know this is what's happening. It's gonna be traffic every day. Why am I surprised and angry every single time I enter this situation, right?" right? So I think at a certain point you just gotta say, all right, This is a real fact of life. It's like if your office was, uh, you know, a hundred miles away from your home, you wouldn't get on the highway and go, oh my God, it's a hundred miles today. It was supposed to be 40 miles. Like, no, you know, that's the choice you made. You signed (laughs) up for it. You know, that's what it's going to be. But with traffic, there's something about it that we just want to say, no, it should be otherwise. And we just can't seem to accept it. Oh, hello
1: everybody. Oh, okay. So we were talking about practicing compassion earlier in the interview, compassion, understanding. Let me tell you, there are plenty of opportunities to practice compassion and understanding while making your way through the Toll Plaza at that time of day.
2: What are these guys
1: doing? They're getting creative. They're (laughs) off-roading. Just driving over the medium. Uh, I wonder if that's a stress response or, I'm pretty sure that's not playing by the rules. I
3: think so, I think they're going rogue. Look at me go, I'm, I'm letting this guy in here. They're going rogue, yeah. Uh,
1: I'm I'm letting this guy... This is an example of uh, grace and thoughtfulness that I just learned in this interview. Uh Uh-huh. Letting this Prius in. Might as well. And they're, they're hardworking. They're working for Lyft and Uber, so... Yep. I'm sure they're on the clock right now. Yeah, yeah.
3: So I'm sure that they are dealing with the same thing, too. I mean, they're dealing with traffic all the time. It's something that they don't enjoy... And, you know, you look around at all these people, all these cars, we we have this kind of vague sense that traffic is happening to us and we're sitting here isolated in this experience. But if you look around this toll plaza, there's, I don't know, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people here all having basically the same experience right now. They don't really want to be sitting here, but they're doing it because they have to, you know, to get to their job or to get to wherever they need to be. That's important. finally
1: finally finally we made it through we broke on through to the other side and we were on the bridge well okay that wasn't as bad as it could have been most mornings how, how long would that it, it was only about 30
3: minutes on the bridge yeah so we left at eight thirty. getting
1: onto the bridge i guess i should say
3: yeah yeah it was probably even less than that um you know another thing you can do when you get to where you are which can be helpful is uh assess the impact you know because we We have this tendency, like we're in the traffic, it's awful, it's awful, it's awful. By the time we get out of it or we get where we're going, we immediately forget the experience we just had. And I think if you can take a minute when you get there and you say, okay, how long did that actually take? It took an extra 15 minutes. What is the impact of that extra 15 minutes? Well, I still have my job. You know, I'm still gonna get things done on time. Nobody really noticed I was a little bit late. You know, I I think when you do that, you can kind of tie together the actual situation with the impact so that next time you're in this situation and you're 15 minutes late, you're not thinking it's the worst thing ever.
2: There's some good advice there.
1: I think there was a lot of good advice there. There's definitely a lot that I could apply in my own life. Okay. Uh Long list of stuff, though. So let's recap quickly before we move to the end of the show. We are almost at the end of the show. Uh, so we just heard that it is important to assess the stress damage
3: when the trip is over.
2: Uh, assess the impact. Also on the de-stress list, just be nicer to yourself. Treat yourself a little better. Taking
3: care of yourself, like getting enough sleep if possible.
1: Then when you're in the traffic find ways to use that time a
2: little bit better. Taking the time that you're in traffic and sort of optimizing it.
1: I'm all about podcasting
3: myself.
2: You should also be paying attention to how you're feeling when you're in traffic.
3: Like, noticing that you are feeling really stressed up. And
1: lastly on the de-stress list, pay attention to how we're framing the situation. It's
3: almost like a persecution thing, you know, like, ah, uh, this traffic is happening to me.
1: And be especially aware when those stories get way out of whack with what's actually going on around us. Not just important cars.
2: I think that might be my favorite. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> really wise advice. Yeah, for all areas of life.
1: All areas of life. Yeah, and if that sounds like too much for you, uh, Jonathan says, you know, you don't need to do everything tomorrow. Just pick something, see if it works, see how it goes.
3: Like This is never going to be perfectly easy to do. I don't think traffic is ever going to be something you like look forward to. I mean, maybe it will, but for most people, it's not. I think it's just a matter of saying, okay, are there any things I can do with the margins that are going to make this a little bit easier for me, a little bit less stressful? And what you usually find is that when you do, like one, you try one thing, if it works well and you get some, pay, some payoff, uh, you're going to want to try other things. And then you can kind of enact this virtuous cycle where you're doing more and more healthy behaviors and, and things are getting easier. So um, I would say take the pressure off get out of this self-expectation thing, get out of this self-judgment and, you know, just try.
1: All right. So a lot of stuff on the table. We've really, we've covered a lot of ground uh, in this show. Obviously not all of it is is the cheeriest news to be sharing about our roadways. Uh, Jenna, just think we should check in at this point. How are you feeling after that huge knowledge dump?
2: Well, you know, I learned a lot about uh, what's going on to make the, Graphic picture a little bit better, a little rosier uh, around the Bay Area, and also about what to do in the meantime while all of those big ideas are coming to fruition. But I think we also know, you know, as Jonathan was just saying, figure out what works for you. You probably know, just like I do, people who've decided it does not work for them, yeah. and they're just leaving the region.
1: Yeah, there are people that are, are, are just given up saying this is too much the high cost of living the long commutes
2: just not worth it
1: just not worth it and that brings to mind to me a little bit of tape from bob Pryor that we haven't played yet where he was making a very similar point he was essentially telling me that at this point
7: the decision to live in the bay area is a lifestyle choice If anybody were moving here to the Bay Area, I would encourage them to to move to the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area. The Bay Area is a great place. It's got, you know, terrific climate. The people are nice and everything. But I would also say, before you move here, come out here, find out how long it takes to drive from one place to another, if that's what you're going to be doing, and then sit down and have a conversation with yourself about what your values are and how long you want to spend in the commute versus what is the the worth to you of the place where where you're living, the specific home or community you're going to live in because there's, there's no way to avoid that trade-off until we start teleporting around, and I think that's in the far distant future. Go
3: and just accept that that's where you are. And traffic is one of those situations where practicing acceptance is really, really helpful. Acceptance of the difficult emotions, acceptance of the situation that you're in. This is not an easy thing to practice, but it's also a really profound thing that can help you in other areas of life as well. Just being able to, like, flip from that mode of, like, I've got to do something about this. I've got to change it to just, well, here I am. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to go with it. Uh, That's a really powerful skill to develop, and we have this opportunity every single day to work on it. Well, thanks a lot.
1: Thank you very much. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, are
3: you going to send me a link? for Thank Have All
1: a nice good day. Here. See You soon. All right. And I think we will let that be the closing point of the show. Deep breaths, everyone. Breathe in. Breathe out. You've been listening to How to Bay Area, a production of KCBS Radio in San Francisco. Signing off from the show, I am Keith Menconi,
2: and I'm Jenna Lane.
1: And we will see you next time, hopefully, somewhat de-stressed.
2: There should be some sad music right there. There's, there, there yeah,
1: there's going to be some, some kind of music.
2: 10,000 violins or the tiniest violin.
6: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.